Well, good morning. It's such a good, good sight to see the, everyone here ready to worship the Lord. And it was such a great to see all these families lined up here just dedicating their children to the Lord as a part of them dedicating themselves to the Lord. Uh, we continue in our study of, of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, and we'll get into chapter 2. But let me read to you where we left off, and it's the scene of what we just basically kind of reenacted, if you will. Uh, in verse Chapter 1, verse 21, it says, The man Elkanah, I decided this week I'm going to call him Elkanah because it rhymes with Hannah and it's just easier. Elkanah and Hannah, all right? So the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So faithfully worshiping the Lord year after year. But Hannah did not go up this time. And when I first read that, I thought, whoop, she's backing out on her vow. Hannah did not go up. But that's not what she's doing. For she said to her husband, as soon as this child is weaned, probably around three years old, I will bring him up so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there, dwell there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed the son until, he, until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, which actually was an extravagant offering. She was given three, they were giving three times actually what was required. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. This child she had longed for and prayed for. This young child she's bringing to the Lord. Then they slaughtered the bull. They brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman that was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. And for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pause there for a minute and just think about it. What in the world would lead this woman to give her child full lifetime of service to the Lord, meaning in their situation, away from home, miss his childhood, miss everything. Why would she do that? Why would these families dedicate their child to the Lord? Why would you sacrifice and surrender? We ask you week in and week out, to lay your life on the altar of the Lord, to be a living sacrifice for the Lord, to, to surrender your own will to the Lord's will, to, to give your dreams, your plans, your resources, your money, your property, your everything, surrender it all to the Lord and live for Him. Why would any of us do any of this? That's what we're going to consider. What's in Hannah's heart we're going to look at characters, characteristics of a heart of dedication to the Lord. Lord, I ask that you'll use this time to truly inspire us to dedicate ourselves to you, maybe for the first time, many people here. Lord, I pray that many will, will see that you are worthy of dedicating their life to you. And perhaps many of us need to rededicate our lives to you, to be reminded of how worthy you are, and to joyfully rededicate 
all of our life to you, Lord, once again, for you certainly deserve it. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at two characteristics of the heart of dedication that we see in Hannah's heart. And we're going to get this from the song that she sings in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. She sings a song or a psalm or a hymn of praise. It's a prayer, a, a prayer song. And, and that's what you know. That's how you know what's in her heart. Because the Bible says that out of the mouth overflows the heart. And so here she's singing a song to the Lord of praise. And the author of Samuel is recording this and placing it here. And the way the book is written, this has kind of a, a, a powerful impact on how you read the whole book. It has, uh, I'm trying not to use big words, but eschatological implications. In other words, you're, you're, the reader, the mind is lifted up to think of there's bigger things going on than just Hannah and her child. These seem to be words about God's people and the child that God sends, the Savior. So let's read. Listen to verses 1 and 2, and maybe you can help me write the point. What is the first characteristic we see in Hannah's heart that explains why she would dedicate her child and her life to the Lord? Verse 1, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, Panina. Did you hear that? That's Panina. That's the enemy that she's talking about right there. My mouth derides my enemies because why? I rejoice in your what? Right. I rejoice in your salvation, Lord. That's why I exalt you. That's why I exalt the Lord. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. So why is she willing to dedicate her child? Do you think that from those verses, would you agree that this is kind of what she's saying? It's out of gratitude for God's salvation. Would that be an adequate representation of what we see in those two verses? That out of her mouth flows her heart, and out of her heart we see she is filled with gratitude for God's salvation. Now certainly at one level, it's the salvation from her enemies, from Panina, the woman who's been totally just making her life miserable year after year after year because she had no children and Panina had children. And so her enemy, her very real-life enemy, was Panina. And now God has given Hannah victory, has given her victory over her enemies. But we know this song, when you read the whole chapter of chapter 2, or the whole 10 verses of her song, there's a bigger story going on here. And what we see is Hannah is, is a, a type or a picture of Israel and of all of us. What I mean by that is Hannah is physically barren and she is longing and praying to God for a son. Oh, that he would be merciful to her her and provide a son. And she, being an Israelite, would know her scriptures, which are your first five books of the Bible. She would know that God had promised God's people 
a son who would be the Savior. And that son is a seed, a descendant of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, you, your descendants, and by the way, they couldn't have children either. And God says, I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to bless you with children. In fact, you're going to have so many children who have children who have children that they're going to come become a nation, my nation, my unique people that I've created for myself, God says, by my power, something that you couldn't do with your own strength, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this people a nation who will be a beacon of light to all the other nations. And from your descendants, from Abraham's descendants, which became a nation, one of them will be a child who will become the anointed redeemer of God's people. And that word anointed one in Hebrew is Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. So in the Old Testament, it's referred to as a Messiah will be the son of Abraham. In the New Testament, it's a Messiah, a Christ one, an anointed one, will be a son of Abraham. And that's who Hannah's looking for. That's who all of Israel's looking for as they as a people are spiritually barren. And we saw at the beginning of our study that it was barren. They were barren because their leaders, the judges, led them away from God's word. They failed to trust and obey God. They stopped caring about his word. They stopped lifting up the word of God and obeying God. And as a result, you have a people. They're a nation. God delivered them out of Egypt formed them into a nation, led them into the promised land, and yet they too are spiritually barren and desperately longing for God to bring the Son, the Messiah, the Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior, the one who will make his nation a kingdom unto God. And so in her spiritual, in her physical barrenness, praying for God's son. She also is an Israelite connected with the spiritual barrenness, praying for God's son. And so when God provides her son Samuel, she's double excited, double joy. And she's filled with this joy that God has provided, yes, a very gift of, of her own son, an answer to prayer, but there's there's not a whole lot in the fact that she, gets to, she doesn't get to enjoy him for long because she's giving him up. Why would she do that? Because she knows God is working a greater plan. She understands that somehow, some way, the Lord has revealed to her that this son has a key role to play in God's bigger plan. Her son Samuel, as we read the story, will be the one who anoints the anointed king David, and there's a potential there as you're reading the story going, well, maybe he's the Messiah. He's going to unite the kingdom, lots of potential as maybe he's the long-awaited promised son to Abraham. He's going to be the king of God's kingdom. He's going to usher in eternal glory. This is about to happen, and no, we know he sins. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what we're going to see is God comes to that son, David, who was anointed by Samuel, and he makes an eternal covenant with him, and he says, one of your descendants will be the son. And when you go to your Gospels, and you open up Matthew, and you see the genealogy, it's very clear. The son of David 
is this one born of a barren woman named Mary. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Son, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who died for your sins, the one who is your hope, the one who rose from the grave, the one who is exalted King of kings, Lord of lords, over God's kingdom, who will reign forever and ever, and he saved you. And that's what she's feeling. She's overwhelmed with joy and gratitude that God came to us in our barrenness and is providing a son who will be our savior. That is the only reason why you will ever give anything in dedication to the Lord is if you have grasped that he is your savior. It is out of gratitude for your salvation, out of gratitude that God saved you, that God redeemed you out of your spiritual barrenness. See, I am an absolute barren sinner. I have no hope. I'm a desert in my heart apart from the work of God, and so are you. And you are spiritually desperate for God to work in your heart his grace, and he has done so through Christ. And so in response... Those of us who know that in our sin we are barren and we have no chance apart from his grace, we realize, I owe him my life. I owe him everything I have. And you owe him everything you have. He is the sovereign savior. And when you you realize that, and you start to think about that and meditate on that as you read the word of God, as you think about, I want you to just do this for a second. I thought of this during core class because we have a great teacher leading us and he was just talked just for a brief little minute about the joy of salvation. So let me just do this with you for a second. Think of the best day of your life. Just one day that is just like, man, that was just pure joy. Think about it. I know you're thinking about thinking about it, but don't think about thinking about it. Go ahead and think about it. What is that joyful day? I've got one in my mind. And think about that happening 10, 20, 100,000 times better joy. And think about it, that joy in the presence of Christ, like the best worship service you've ever been times a million Every single day for eternity. God gave you that. Why would you dedicate your children to him? Why would you dedicate your dreams to him? Why would you dedicate your plans to him? Why would you dedicate anything? Because he saved you. That's what Hannah's doing. Out of gratitude for God's salvation, we dedicate our lives to him. He owns you. You owe him your children. You owe him your life. Out of joy and gratitude because he's so good, you want to give him everything because he is that worthy. We don't live there every day, but in order to get there, we need to continually rehearse the gospel. We need to read the word of God. We need to meditate on these scriptures that talk about what a great God he is. And so we as a church are memorizing scripture If you read the newsletter that we send out each week, we're going to encourage you a memory verse, just one a week. I mean, one a month. We talked about one a week. I said, no, not my age. Let's go with one a month. 
And so this month, we're memorizing 1 Samuel 2.2. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Meditate on that. Memorize that and let that be the fuel that produces gratitude in your heart to say, Lord, I dedicate my children to you. I dedicate my salary to you. I dedicate my home for your kingdom. I dedicate all that I am, all that I have, my dreams, my desires, my plans. It all is for you and your glory. Why? Because there is no other rock like my God. Gratitude for God's salvation is what drives us to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Secondly, we see a second point, and this comes from verses 3 through 10. I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll go through them again, but I want you to help create the point. What's the second reason that you see in Hannah's heart why she dedicates her child to the Lord? In verse 3, talk no more. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy up from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What is she seeing? What is she saying? What is she singing about? Who is the main subject that she is talking about? Who would you say? Who is she talking about in these verses? I want, him, I want you to say the answer. Who is she talking about in these verses? The Lord God, Jesus, yes. So she has a grasp of who God is and what he is like. And when you see what she describes, there's one word that captures all those descriptors of him. He is sovereign. The second reason, the second attribute we see in her heart is that she has a grasp of God's sovereignty. And that's part of why she says, okay, I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to trust my son to you, God. Because you're trustworthy. You're sovereign. Now, what does it mean to be sovereign? Well, we're going to look at that through these verses, but the, just simply, if you think about a king, a physical king or a ruler, that's the term sovereign is, ruling to, is referring to his rule, his reign and his rule, his authority, his control, his power over his kingdom. 
that he makes the rules. He's the final decision maker. He's the boss. He's the king. He's sovereign. Well, God is the sovereign over all the universe. Why? Because God made all things. God created the heavens and the earth. Children, God even created the penguins. Why did I say that? Because it's in your little notes. I said the word penguin. Check it off in case you didn't catch that. I promised one kid I would work penguin into the sermon. I just did it. You got that? All right. So they're listening. So God is sovereign over the penguins because God made the penguins. God is sovereign over all things because God made all things. Why does God have the right to tell the Canaanites, get out of the promised land, I'm giving it to my people? Because God made the Canaanites and God made the land. God is sovereign. God decides who lives where. And what we see is Hannah has come to terms. She's grappled with this concept of God's sovereignty. She desperately longed for a son. And we saw before he granted her that gift, she did not know he was going to. All evidence in her life said, you're not going to get that. And she had to come to terms with, I'm not sovereign, God is I remember my battle of coming to terms with God's sovereignty, and it was brutal. I was, I was sovereign. Why would I think God's sovereign when I'm the sovereign one? And, and it was particularly struggle with prayer. I was like, okay, to me, prayer was I'm sovereign, and I need God to take care of things according to my sovereign will. I need God to fix this problem because in my sovereign will, I want it fixed. And I need this problem and I need this because I'm sovereign. And when I started grasping that God was sovereign, it made me go, well, then why do I pray? Anyone else ever struggle with that? Well, if God's sovereign, then why do I pray? And then it dawned on me one day. Why did I think it was a good idea to pray to a God if he wasn't sovereign? What could he do about it? Well, God, I just want you to be up there kind of wishing with me that this would work out. So then I began the journey of finding rest, taking joy, taking comfort in the fact that God is sovereign. You see, I think the bigger problem we have is probably not so much the fact that God is sovereign as it is we're not sure if God is good. If God is sovereign, then we wonder, well, then why is Why are there bad things? And I can't put all this in a nice little bow for you, but I'm telling you, here's how I got to rest in the fact that God is sovereign, is I read and studied the first five books of my Bible for a solid year. And when I was done with that, there was no question. God is sovereign, and he's good. I encourage you to do the same. But if you are going to hand your child to God, It's only going to be because you are grateful for your salvation and that he is sovereign and good. And if you doubt that, you're not going to give God anything. You're not going to dedicate anything to God. Because if you're sovereign, you're going to want God to dedicate everything to you. But God is the Savior and he's sovereign and he's good. Why do you know he's good? There's a lot of things you just don't understand in this world. Look no further than the Son that he gave you in your barren state. He is the supreme evidence of God's sovereign 
goodness. God loves you. He is good. He is trustworthy. Any good thing you have is because he chose to give it to you. That breath you just took, that beat that your heart just beat, it is because God loves you and he gave it to you. That job that you have is a gift from God. That salary you have is a gift from God. That home that you have is a gift from God. That family that you have is a gift from God. And all of it belongs to God and he is sovereign over it. The only question is, will you recognize recognize it it's something you got to grapple with I grappled with it for years before I could stand here and say I am so thankful for the sovereign goodness of God so grapple with it the key to trusting God the key to dedicating your life and your children to God is knowing he is both sovereign and good and you can trust him. He loves you like crazy. So let's briefly run through these verses and let's pull out what is sovereignty, what aspects of his sovereignty she sees. In verse three, Hannah sees that God, she trusts in God's sovereign wisdom. Talk no more proudly, let no arrogance. In other words, be humble for the Lord God is the God of knowledge. By him, actions are weighed, not by my ideas, but by his wisdom. In verse four, she trusts in his power, which is measured by mercy. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble, the feeble bind on, he binds on strength. He breaks the mighty, but but blesses the weak. In verse five, We see she trusts God's justice, sovereign justice. Those who were full, we see the reversal of the fortunes. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. That's a number of completeness. But she who has many children is forlorn. In verse six, he is sovereign over all of life and death and even resurrection from the dead. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and rises up, raises up over, he's sovereign over our finances. In verse seven, the Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. Ultimately, there will be justice. He lifts the needy up from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit the seats of honor. He is also sovereign over the rulers, the pillars of our society. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He is just. In in verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. One day he will get justice. And that's what it's hard for us to understand. It's not our timetable, it's his. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, Jesus, and exalt the horn of his anointed, Jesus. For us to truly be dedicated to the Lord, we must grasp his sovereignty and learn to rest in his sovereign goodness. So where are you today? What's what's your state of heart right now? This whole series is about being after God's heart. Hannah, he has captured Hannah's heart. In her heart, she says, I am so grateful that God saved me.
I am so grateful that he is sovereign. How are you doing today? Would you close your eyes and just pray with me? Let me just lead you through a time of thinking deeply on God. God, would you, would you open our eyes, the eyes of our heart? Would you open our ears? Spiritual discernment, Lord, help us to see that we have been given everything in you. You have saved us through Jesus And you have a sovereign plan that you are carrying out. It doesn't center on us, but we are captured up in it. When we trust in Christ, we are among the redeemed and a part of your people that you are are bringing and saving and making a, a, a name for yourself. And Lord, you promise one day to establish all justice, all goodness, to do away with sin and evil and pain and wickedness and and all the stuff that causes us to doubt your sovereignty. Help us to trust your sovereign goodness when we don't understand, Lord. Help us to know that you are trustworthy, that we might dedicate our lives. Lord, there are people here today, I imagine, that do not know you as Savior, that have not dedicated their lives to you. I pray that you would open their ears. Give them faith to trust in Jesus as their Savior. And dedicate their lives, their children, and all they have, all they are to you. And Lord, those of us who've trusted you for many years and have walked with you, there are things that we take back control of out of you, out of your hands, and we want them back. But Lord, again, as we were reminded that there is no other rock like you, there is no one holy like you, Lord, we are reminded to give it back to you, that you are trustworthy. Help us rededicate our lives in service to you this morning. Lord, work on our hearts. May we not be... May we not leave here the same way we were when we came. May we dedicate our lives to you. Grateful for your salvation. Grasping your sovereignty. It's in Christ.